Welcome to Only Human, a podcast from Don't Forget the Bubbles. This is Becky Platt with Henry Goldstein, and these are the stories that reflect the diversity of our community and the multitude of life events that come our way, that shape us as professionals and as humans. My guest today has asked to remain anonymous for this podcast, preferring to be addressed by her Twitter handle, The Bipolar Doc. I start off by asking her why. I go by the Twitter handle, The Bipolar Doc, and this is something that I set up about four years ago now um, when I was recovering from an episode of mental illness. The handle and the anonymity allows me to speak out openly about mental illness in medicine. Without that, I feel gagged because of the stigma. And it's a shame that we still work in a culture where that exists. But for now, I remain the bipolar doc. Can you tell me what you think would happen if people knew who you were? I worry that I would not get a job. I worry that I would be seen as unreliable, unpredictable, weak, vulnerable, somehow less of a doctor because of my diagnosis of type 2 bipolar. And that makes me incredibly sad. And it's a big weight to carry, but stigma prevails in medicine. And until I feel confident that I can overcome that and I can be strong enough to advocate for myself, I just feel scared. It makes me feel sad that Bipolar Doc feels this way. And I wondered what other ways she feels that she can't be herself as she starts her story. I have a history of mental illness and have done since I was a teenager. I was admitted to a psychiatric hospital when I was about 15 with an eating disorder and I had depression and anxiety. And when I started medical school, I disclosed that. I was immediately invited to an occupational health meeting and sort of felt already like that vulnerability was going to be a hindrance to my career. But I threw myself into my studies, was very ambitious, very conscientious and kind of came out with prizes and awards and medicine became my crutch and my coping strategy. But throughout all of that, I didn't talk about mental illness. I started my training in paediatrics and absolutely loved it right from the get go. And that ambition and enthusiasm fueled this inability to say no. And I was taking on more and more and more. And somehow that was creating more and more validation. And the more I succeeded, the more I felt worthy as a doctor. For a while, Bipolar Doc continued in her career without ever talking about her vulnerabilities. But after giving birth to her second daughter, things changed. When my second daughter was born, I had quite bad postnatal depression. And whilst off work, I reached out to my GP and I started therapy, started medication. And it came to coming back to work after maternity leave. And at this point, I finally thought, I have to tell someone about this. I am safe to go back to work, but I need to admit this vulnerability because I need support. And so I explained that the on-call shift I was rotated to do on my second day back probably wasn't a very good idea. And lo and behold, the staffing situation meant that on my second day back, I got handed the crash bleep for a new tertiary pediatric hospital. And it broke me. I remember walking along a corridor, holding this bleep and finding a cupboard. And I dived into this cupboard and I literally sobbed. And I sobbed and sobbed because I felt weak. Everyone around me was coping with this on-call shift and I was in bits. I didn't feel like there was anybody that I could speak to. 
So I carried on because that's what you do. And I did find a brilliant mentor at that time and she helped support me. But in my mind, there was absolutely no way on earth that I could take time off. And so it snowballed. I became more anxious. My mood deteriorated. I became quite low. And the enthusiasm and passion, empathy that I had had in abundance for my patients became replaced with this bitterness and cynicism. And I realized I was burnt out and mentally ill. And that brought shame. As I listened to Bipolar Doc's story, I recognize a familiar theme to other interviews in this series, that medicine is such a big part of our identity. And if it's taken away from us, or we can't perform it to the best of our ability, we somehow don't feel complete as humans. It got to the point where I was under a psychiatrist and he sort of said, right, okay, we've got a choice here. We can carry on or we say, right, you need a break and you have some time off work. And I sobbed. I cried for my patients that I was letting down, all of those ones I'd said, I'll see you in a few weeks. I cried for my colleagues that I was burdening with all this extra work. But at no point in all of that did I cry for myself. I couldn't see that I deserved time off, that I needed time to heal. That was really challenging, that point at which I became the patient. Things definitely got worse before they got better. Three weeks off sick turned into 11 months off sick. And during that time, my psychiatrist realized that I haven't really responded as he would have expected to the antidepressants, the anxiolytics and things. And we started to realize that in and amongst the deep lows, there were actually periods where I was very creative, very able, speaking very fast. Colleagues at work had said, goodness me, your brain works so quickly. Slow down because people can't keep up with you. And he began to think that these episodes were actually hypermanic episodes. And so he changed the diagnosis to type 2 bipolar, which I found really, really hard to swallow initially. But I was started on mood stabilizers. So I take Umotrigine twice a day. Mm -hmm. And from that point onwards, I got clarity. My mind quietened. I could see things much more clearly. And at that point, returning to work seemed possible in a way that it hadn't done up until then, I think. I really hadn't realized how integral being a doctor was to my identity until this point. And I remember a therapy session where I met the practitioner for the first time and I introduced myself as I'm a pediatrician. And she said as I left, it wasn't until five minutes before the end of the hour long session that she realized I had children because that was my identity. I was a doctor before anything else. How wrong is that? And now I am before anything a mother and a wife. That journey that I've been on in the last five years has taught me that. And I'm hugely, hugely grateful for that journey as a result. I think what one of the hardest things to hear actually is that you could cry for your patients and your colleagues, but you couldn't cry for yourself. I, I would just wonder why that is. I think that stemmed from medical school. I remember this lecture about the GMC and about the importance of prioritizing our patients, putting them first, 
And the concept that I was becoming the patient myself, the concept that I no longer had the caregiving role and I had to accept care from somebody else, it felt inherently wrong. My identity as a doctor was being stripped from me and I no longer knew who I was at all. I was so pleased to hear that Bipolar Doc's treatment had allowed her to return to work. But I was curious to know how it felt to return to such a challenging environment after such a traumatic time. So thankfully, the point at which I returned was very different. I had a brilliant mentor who was one of the um, associate deans within the deanery, and I accessed the supported return to training scheme. And through this, obtained supernumerary training. I wasn't doing on calls. I was working part time. And that brought much more supervision, but from a sort of emotional point of view. So the return to work went much better. However, I realized that by this point, I had lost the love. I had mainly lost the love of the NHS. And I felt still quite bitter that the system failed to value those that kept it going, essentially. And I think I felt failed by the system myself as a patient because throughout all of this, I have never been able to access NHS psychiatric treatment. It has all been private because the waiting lists were such, despite having suicidal thoughts and being really unwell, I couldn't get seen. And that was really hard. So I decided after a year of proving to myself that I could be a doctor, I decided that it was time to think about no longer being a doctor. And if I'm completely honest, I did feel backed into a corner a little bit. Um, My supernumerary funding was going to be removed. The adjustments that had been put in place were no longer really going to be possible if I was going to continue through my pediatric training and I thought you know what I don't want to feel like I'm being pushed out I need to take control of this and I need to choose to leave so I left in the summer of 2019 to become a primary teacher which was lovely Um, but unfortunately I realized fairly quickly actually that primary teaching wasn't giving me what I needed and that I began to miss medicine. I miss the humanity of medicine, the unbelievable privilege that we have to be part of people's lives at a time when they really need us. The window and the honor that we have to be part of their journey. And I'm realizing that there is nothing like that. I know that communication was something that I was good at. Empathy was something that I had in abundance. And it was burnout that made it go away. It wasn't that I no longer have that skill. And that is what I miss most. Mm. I also miss the challenge of medicine, the intellectual puzzles that are involved in diagnosis, in clinical decisions. I miss the teamwork and the sense of belonging that we have within those amazing opportunities for collaboration, negotiation. I just miss medicine. The the way you describe it and the the passion that you have and particularly what you say about being there in the moments that 
shape people's lives. That That is exactly how I feel. I can identify so strongly with that. That is quite amazing for me to hear. I was sad to hear that despite overcoming her challenges with her own mental health, Bipolar Doc had left the profession. But I was also curious to know how she now copes with her mental illness as well as being a mum. It's not easy. For me, medicine was never the issue. Medicine in itself, the inherent clinical nature of medicine, it was juggling everything else. The pressures within the NHS, the peripheral work that is expected of us, the audits, the research, the teaching, the supervising, all of that whilst trying to be a good clinical doctor. And then there is life outside of medicine. And it's when you add in all of that, that I start to become very anxious. I struggle with panic post-COVID, having had these periods where, you know, you don't go anywhere for for such a long time. I struggle with social anxiety now and, and finding it really difficult, train stations, busy environments. And my children do get a sense of that. My mental health affects them. And that's something that I find really, really difficult to deal with. But I also hope that my experience will equip them with emotional literacy, with an ability to identify their own feelings. We talk very openly about it. They know that I take medication. They know that I have an appointment every week because I have nothing to hide. I want them to grow up in an environment where they can talk about their mental health. And that is something that I do feel proud of. So you're equipping your children with that emotional literacy and the ability to talk about mental health as a normal part of life. But it's actually not something that we're yet able to do in healthcare. No, not at all. And for me, it is so obvious now that we are all human. We are all vulnerable and have our frailties. Yes, not everyone experiences mental illness or burnout, but that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about the reaction that we have after the death of a patient. So many times I have been to really traumatic resus scenarios where the second we leave that room, it's sort of brushed off and you return to some slightly more trivial job as though nothing has happened and nobody then discusses the the emotional impact of that and so I remember driving home after these scenarios bawling my eyes out thinking why is nobody else upset what is wrong with me why am I like this I think the reality is probably most people are upset and probably most people went home and cried in the car but most people didn't feel that it was okay to say Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And why do we not have these conversations? Nobody is talking like this. And, you know, medical students and junior doctors are coming through the system with this perception that it's not okay to talk about how we feel after these really traumatic incidents. And I don't just mean patient deaths. It's also juggling the pressures of work, juggling the rotor gaps, being told that you have to go home in order to come back and cover a night shift. That's not okay. And it's all right to say, goodness me, I feel completely overwhelmed. I haven't slept. I'm really hungry. Please can you check in and support me? Mm -hmm. Why is it that we still live in a culture where there are no role models for us? Mm -hmm. I think you are that role model. 
Well, I hope so. But sometimes you don't feel like as one individual, you can change the world. And this is something that I, through talking, really hope that it allows other people to share their stories. And the more we share our stories, the more I think culture will be able to change. I could see how passionately Bipolar Doc felt about the dire need to turn the dial on stigma relating to mental health in the medical profession, an opinion that she began voicing as far back as her return to work after her sick leave. I began to tell my story initially on a very small scale. It was within the department. I realised that actually I looked around and nobody was really okay. And as I spoke out, be that on a one-to-one basis, or I did a couple of sort of informal departmental um, teaching sessions on well-being, using my story as a sort of crutch to do that, people started sharing their stories. And I realized that consultants that I had worked with for years, other trainees around me, nurses, loads and loads of people had their own journeys, had their own emotional struggles. And I had never been alone, yet I had spent all these years trying to hide my own vulnerabilities with this sense of shame and weakness. And that was strangely empowering. And so that then sort of fueled my passion to speak out. And I remember writing an abstract for our regional paediatric conference and thinking this is not really worthy of an abstract this is just my story and I stood up for the first time in front of about maybe 200 people and I told my story and afterwards the emotional reaction of myself but of everybody in the room was so powerful and the impact that that story had had made me realize that I have a voice There are health professionals out there who no longer have a voice and that could have been me. And I now have a duty to those health professionals who are no longer with us to speak out because things have to change. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes of Only Human as well as details of events, courses and other resources at don'tforgetthebubbles.com. Until next time.